Hello, and welcome to the Christwalk Church Podcast. Good morning, Christwalk. How is everybody doing today? My goodness, I've never heard people get so excited over a t-shirt in my entire life. It's amazing, amazing. Hey, if you've got your Bible or uh, you're, you're working off of a smart device this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me, swipe with me to um, the New Testament. That's the second big section of the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament. And we're going to find ourselves in just a moment in the book of Ephesians. Um, It's Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, the book of Ephesians. We're going to go to chapter 5, and we're going to land there in just a minute. So go ahead and flip there and and, and get ready with me. Um, Any any Ikea shoppers in the house? Anybody like Ikea? few people, somebody was like really excited about Ikea. I, I've got to be honest, I love, like to say that I love Ikea is, is an understatement. Like I love Ikea. I love going to Ikea. That place, it just inspires me. There's just something about it. In fact, I love it so much that a few months ago, uh, we actually took a staff trip to Ikea and we spent several hours um, just walking around and looking, and, and we, were, we were observing the ways that they go about doing their business and the way that they run their corporation and figuring out if there were any connection points, um, anything that might translate or cross over into the church world. And it was an incredible day um, with the team, and, and we talked about so many, so many fun things and, and just left there like on cloud nine. I mean, I was pumped pumped up after leaving Ikea, as I always am. And one of the things that um, uh, if, if, if you are like new to Ikea, you don't, you've never been or whatever, um, I would encourage you, go and uh, there's one in Jacksonville, if you've never been before, go and check it out. Um, there's a restaurant inside. Um, there's like, so you can just take a day and everything and just go and, and enjoy. You can get some Swedish meatballs and some lingonberry sauce and everything. But for those of you that may not know exactly what Ikea is, it is a, it's a Swedish furniture and textiles company. And they, they, uh, they pride themselves on providing uh, efficient furniture and textiles um, at an affordable price that do not sacrifice design. All right, and and so like when you go to IKEA for uh, for the first time, you'll you'll notice you walk in and you go through this thing called the showroom, and this is where they have examples of all of the products that they offer. And every single product, it'll it'll be out on the floor, and it has a little tag on it, and it shows you like where you can pick it up and everything. And then and then they'll have like full setups of kitchens or full setups of living rooms or offices or whatever. But the coolest thing about IKEA is because they pride themselves on on efficiency and everything. They'll have these uh, a few setups that'll show you what it's like if if you decked out your entire place, like what it would be like to live in a fully furnished, fully functional Ikea setup in like an area of like 300 square feet or like 500 square feet. And, and every time I go, those places, they like suck me in and it's like in little corners of the showroom and, and they'll have it decked out. And I'm talking like in 300 square feet or 500 square feet, I'm talking living room, dining room, kitchen, bathroom, bedroom, the whole thing. And every time we go, I go in there and I'm looking around and it's so awesome. I'm like, Sarah, we could totally do this. 
All four of us could live in 278 square feet and it would be just fine. Like I'm trying to convince my wife, like this is, like we can do this. Look at this storage. Like, and I'm pulling out the drawers and everything, like talking about how awesome it is. And um, whenever I go to Ikea, there's just something about, I, I find something that I have to have. All right, like I, I, I get there in the showroom and I'm like sitting down on the sofa or sitting in the chair or seeing the little, the, you know, the, the little gadget or gizmo or whatever. And, and all of a sudden, it like, it, it, it burrows down into my heart and it takes root there. And I realize I cannot live without this thing. And I'm picturing it like being used in my living room or in my kitchen or in the office or whatever. And I'm so excited until you leave the showroom and you get to what they call the warehouse. Now, the warehouse is probably exactly what you're thinking when I say the word warehouse. Just imagine this vast open space with wall-to-wall, floor-to-ceiling shelves. And on those shelves are boxes about this thick, just stacked all over the place. And the warehouse is where all of the stuff you've just seen in the showroom is now stored And all of those little tags on the things in the showroom, you now have to find the aisle and the bay number to go. And you take this cart and you offload these boxes because inside those boxes are the stuff that you just can't imagine your life without. And so what happens is, is after you walk through the showroom and you realize that you see all the pretty things and how they all fit together and everything, and you realize you can't live without it, then you have to go and stack up all these boxes and take them to your car. And then you take them home and you open up these boxes boxes and you realize that inside of these boxes there are approximately 1,432 pieces of things that you now have to put together in order to get what you saw in the showroom. All right, but don't be discouraged because they provide you with a little tiny little Allen wrench made out of cheap pot metal that will like bruise the ends of all of your fingers and your thumbs and everything and they give you an instruction sheet, no words, just pictures And it looks pretty much the same way right side up as it does upside down. All right, so take courage, okay? And so you leave Ikea and you've got these boxes and everything. You go home and there's pieces all over the living room and in the kitchen and stuff. And about 14 hours later, you're wondering, why are there so many pieces left over after I've put this thing together? And you're looking at the thing that you've just created and you're looking at the picture on the box and you're remembering what you saw in the showroom and you realize that none of those things fit together. None of those things look the same. And you think to yourself, I wish I would have known beforehand that there was some assembly required. And I think that's how a lot of us approach our relationships. Marriages in general that we imagine ourselves being married to the love of our life and everything is just perfect. You know, there's birds chirping outside. There's a freshly baked apple pie in the oven. The bank account is full. The laundry is done. We live in a cute, quaint little cottage with a white picket fence. We have approximately 1.7 children and a cat and a dog and life is just wonderful, right? That's how we imagine it. Have, have you noticed that we never dream about a, a being married to somebody with bedhead and morning breath? You know, like we never do, like in our fantasies about marriage, we never think about things that way. We never think about paying the water bill. 
We never dream about changing poopy diapers. There's, there's nothing in there about going to the grocery store, um, doing, doing the, the shopping, uh, preparing all of the laundry, folding and putting away all the laundry, balancing the checkbook. There's nothing about that in our fantasies. And all the millennials in the room are like, what the heck is a checkbook? What is this guy talking about? Check, I'm going to have to Google that and see what this antiquated term is. Have, have you ever seen another couple that appeared to have all of their stuff together and thought to yourself, or, or maybe you've even said it out loud, I wish I had a marriage like that. I wish my marriage was like theirs. You know, they live in a nice house. They drive nice cars. They have great jobs. Their children are well-behaved. They dress in complimentary outfits that look like they're constantly on the way to a family photo shoot, you know, like those kind of people. Um, he comes home from the office at a reasonable hour and goes outside to, in the backyard to play catch with the kids. She manages a successful blog. She keeps up with the household chores. She cooks a four-course meal five nights a week, sometimes six. Then the other night of the week is naturally their date night, you know, where they go out to a fancy restaurant. He opens the doors for her. She ties his neckties on him. Even after 12 years and two kids, they still can't keep their hands off of each other. You know a couple like this, you know? Maybe their names are like Tim and Brenda. Like, what a bunch of jerks, right? <laughs> Tim and Brenda, always showing us up. But we want to be just like them. That's the marriage that we want to have. But what we don't see in Tim and Brenda's life is all of the work that takes place behind the scenes. All of the things that they have to do, all of, the, all of the time and the effort that they have to put into making their marriage, their life be like that. And when, when we, 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 we see the things that we want in the showroom, but we refuse to put the, the time and the effort and the energy in to doing what we need to do to get everything in the proper place so that we can have what is in the showroom, in our own life as well. And, and what usually happens is this. We begin to compare our relationship to theirs, to the one that we wish we had. And we start to say or, or we start to think things. Maybe we communicate this with our spouse or, or um, our fiance, our boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, the people that we're in relationship with. And, and we, we, we start to say things like, well, well, if you did things a little bit more like Tim, then maybe things would be better. Or if, if you loved me the way that Brenda loves Tim, then maybe this relationship just might make it. And we quickly discover the reason why so many marriages in our country are in peril and why the divorce rate is so significantly high. It's because we come to realize that the things we once fantasized about are attainable, but we simply aren't willing to put in the work to make them happen to make them be realized in our life, in our relationships, in our marriages. Today, we're kicking off a brand new series that we're calling Some Assembly Required, where we're going to be taking a look at some of the major building blocks of marriage, the marriage relationship in particular. And I just happen to believe that if you and I will put in the necessary work that is required into our relationships and that we will get things in the proper place, that we can have the marriages and relationships that we have all dreamed about. 
Now, I realize not everybody in this room is married, but some of you are. And for those of you that are married, you would say, I, I would dare to venture that you would say you want to have the best marriage possible, right? Right? You can talk back to me this morning. It's okay. Yeah. I'm not going to scream and run off the stage if you say something back to me. It's all right. So for those of you that are married, you want to have the best marriage possible, right? And then there's others of you in this room that you're not married, but you're probably going to be someday, or you at least think that you would like to, right? And so, so um, for those of you that may not be married yet, but you're going to be, if you began to live your life this way and put some of these principles into place now, imagine the future that it might set up for you down the road once you do get married. And then there's probably some other people that are, not, that are here in the room today that are not in one of those two categories. You're neither married, and, and there's, there's probably not a chance that you might be married in the future. But I would dare to venture that you know somebody who is married, right? So what you could do is, over the next few weeks, you could just take some really good notes and then pass it along to them and try to help them out in their relationships as well. So we're all in this thing together, even though everybody in the room isn't married, it's still okay for us to talk about marriage because the Bible talks about marriage. So we need to look at that together. Now, we're getting ready to jump into Ephesians chapter 5. And before we do, you need to know that Ephesians 5, it's a commonly used biblical text which outlines the roles of husbands and wives. Paul wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus. And, and so um, he, he, as a part of this passage, he outlines the roles of husband and wife in the marriage relationship. But we're going to actually get to that part of it next week. So um, everybody in the room, you guys can go ahead and read ahead and prepare yourselves for, for what is coming next Sunday. But in the opening verses of Ephesians 5, Paul first discusses how Christians are supposed to conduct themselves in general. Before he wrote about the role of husbands and wives, he first wrote about the role of husbands and wives as followers of Christ, as individuals. And so the big idea that we are working off of today is, is this. If God isn't first in your life, then he can't be first in your marriage. So if you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to write that down. If God isn't first in your life, then he can't be first in your marriage. All right? And so it's important to know before we read today's passage that Paul is writing to believers in the church of Ephesus. And I realize that while there's people in this room that may not be married today, there's also people in this room that you may not be a believer in Jesus today. And if that's you, I want to say, hey, thanks for coming. We're so glad you're here. Christ Walk Church is a place that you don't have to believe to belong. And so I'm just so thankful that you would show up and give us a chance and check some of this stuff out. And so you also need to know that if you are here and you are not a believer in Jesus, that what I'm about to read, ultimately, it doesn't apply to you. We don't expect you to live this way. This is only for people that have surrendered their heart and life to Jesus Christ that are expected to live this way. But with that said, I will say, I believe, and this church believes, 
that living a life in accordance with the word of God, the Bible, and surrendering our lives to Jesus Christ, it is hands down, without a doubt, the best and most fulfilling way that we could possibly live our lives. So if you're here today and you're not a believer, I would encourage you, hey, lean in a little bit. Maybe put some of these principles to work in your life and just see what might happen. It, it couldn't hurt, right? And you might find that your life is a lot better and that maybe life in Jesus, life with Jesus, surrender to Jesus has something pretty incredible to offer because I believe that it does. All right, so with that said, let's jump in this morning. Ephesians 5, starting with verse 8. Ephesians 5, verse 8. Paul writes this, In the past, you were full of darkness, but now you are full of light in the Lord. So live like children who belong to the light. Light brings every kind of goodness, right living, and truth. Verse 10. Try to learn what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the things done in darkness which are not worth anything, but show that they are wrong. It is shameful even to talk about what those people do in secret. But the light makes all things easy to see, and everything that is made easy to see can become light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from death, and Christ will shine on you. Verse 15. So be very careful how you live. Do not live like those who are not wise, but live wisely. Use every chance you have for doing good, because these are evil times. So what Paul is saying here in this passage is that first, we've got to get ourselves right in order for us to be the right spouse. In, in other words, if, if there are things in our life that are keeping us from being the follower of God that he wants us to be, then we will never be able to become the husband or wife that he has called us to be. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 6. He said, seek first God's kingdom and what God wants, and then all your other needs will be met as well. In other words, if we're going to be the person that God wants us to be, if we are going to be the husband that God wants us to be, if we're going to be the wife, the friend, the, the employee, the boss, the, the student, the child, whatever, in any relationship that we have, if we are going to be who God wants us to be in that relationship, it starts with us putting him first. Seek first God's kingdom and what God wants, and then everything else will fall in to place. If we're going to put that together, if we're going to build the right kind of relationships, we have to get things in order. We don't start on step 12 and, in, and, and, and expect things to end up the way that they need to be. We have to put first things first. And so we put God first as the cornerstone, like we sang about earlier. We get that in place where it needs to be. And our relationship with God is, is operating how it needs to be. And then everything else will line up in accordance with that. We need to understand that in our marriage or in any relationship, when it comes to a healthy we, that we cannot have a healthy we if we don't first have a healthy me. We cannot have a healthy we if we don't first have a healthy me. But I've discovered that a lot of times we enter into relationships, we've, we've got these, these secret sins 
struggles, strongholds going on in our life. And these things, they don't get dealt with properly. We push them down. We, we keep them hidden, out of sight, out of mind. We don't want anybody to know about them. What happens is, is we carry these things for years. Some of them developed in our life in childhood. And we never dealt with them. And, and they've just kind of been there in the background for years and years and years. And, and what happens is, is, is we enter into relationships with other people and particularly into marriage. We get married and we carry these things over into our marriages with us. And because they haven't been dealt with and we've just pushed them down and, and, and sent them to the side, what happens is, is that they begin to grow and to fester beneath the surface. And then as the years go by, we continue to allow these things to develop, but because of fear or shame or, or something like that, we, we just push them back down and we keep them hidden. We don't want them to come to the surface. The enemy tries to tell us that if we let these things out, if, if we allow these things to become known, that, that that relationship will be over, that our spouse won't love us anymore, that they'll, that they'll never be able to forgive us for whatever those things are, that our marriage, that relationship will come to an end. Or we, we allow these sins and, and struggles to continue to, to develop, and then they eventually take over our lives. And it turns into something that we, in, we, we find ourselves enjoy doing. We're enjoying these things. Maybe it's an addiction to pornography, or it's, it, 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 it rears itself in, in the form of an extramarital affair, something like that. And then what happens is when those things enter into our life, we begin to rationalize our choices. We begin to say things like, well, well she isn't meeting my needs sexually, so that's why, I have to, that's why I have to result into pornography over here so that I can get my fix because I'm a man. I've got needs, right? Or, or we say, like, there's, there's so much pressure in our relationship. There's so much pressure in this marriage that I just can't cope. And, and, and so we, we turn to drugs and alcohol and everything to, to kind of help ease the pain a little bit. And then that builds and, and builds and builds. And before we know, we're, we're sucked in too deep and it's taken over our life. Or, or we find out that, that, that he isn't loving us the way, he, he's, not, he's not loving me the way that, that I want to be loved. He's not accepting me for, for who I am anymore. He used to take me on long walks on the beach and now he just comes home and expects dinner to be on the table and everything, but, but this guy over here, he's noticed me and he accepts me for who I am and everything. And so it's easy for me to just run to him and find myself in his arms. And, 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 and I want to be over here with him because he's meeting my needs, whereas my spouse, my husband, isn't any longer. And these things are okay. They just, they just feel right. It's working for us. And, and, and what my spouse doesn't know, what they don't know, it's not going to hurt them. Until they do, and then it does. We start to pass blame on our spouse, on our partners. We begin to take the stance that it's all their fault. They're the cause for our marriage being in shambles. When it's actually us. We want to push it off on their shoulders, but, but instead of asking God, say, God, if you'll fix them, then this would be okay. No, we need to start saying, God, I need you to fix me. God, don't, don't fix them. Fix, fix me first. God, fix me so I can be the husband that I need to be. Fix me so that I can be the spouse that I need to be. Instead of passing the blame on them, get yourself right first. See, if we want to get healthy, we need to do what Paul says, and, and we've got to bring this stuff to light before it gets out of control. Darkness is driven out by 
the light. Darkness and light, they cannot coexist. It is, it is totally um, impossible. Even the smallest of flames will drive out the thickest darkness in any room. If we want to be the person, the husband, the wife that we're supposed to be in order to become and in order to have the marriage that, that God has called us to have, then we need to start by shedding light on our secrets. Nothing good lurks in the dark. Nothing good lurks in the dark. Darkness serves as the environment in which sin and evil thrives. It's the dwelling place for shame and fear and bitterness and anger and doubt and regret and all the things like those. And Paul tells us that the things that live in the dark are worthless, meaning they have no value. Paul's essentially saying these things that live in the darkness, they are, they're nothing but trash. And what do we do with trash? We throw it out. But what happens is, is that the reason that our, um, that our relationship with God gets messed up or the reason that our relationship with our spouse gets messed up is because we're trying so hard to hold on to trash, to worthless things, rather than letting those things go. And what happens is, is we begin to accumulate that junk and that stuff and over and over and over and it chokes out or it takes the place of the, the other person's ability to have a relationship with us. And it drives a wedge in between us and our spouse. It drives a wedge in between us and God. And so things can't be healthy anymore because we've, we've taken hold of the garbage. We've taken hold of the worthless things and, and it's, it's driven away the things in our life and our relationships that are most valuable. But the good news is, is that this passage that we've just read that, that Paul wrote to the Ephesians, it gives us some hope. It sheds light on some things that we can do in order to take steps toward having the marriage, the relationships that we've always wanted. And the even better news than that is it's never too late. It's never too late. You may have walked in here this morning and, God, we're going to give you one more shot, one last chance. We're hopeless. We're desperate. If things don't turn around today, our marriage is over. You need to know. Somebody here needs to know. Somebody watching online today. Somebody listening to this podcast or watching us on YouTube later, you need to know it's never too late for you. It's never too late for God to move in your relationship. And I believe that he'll do it if we'll put these things into practice. Three steps to prepare ourselves for the marriage that we've always wanted. Number one, shed light on your sin. Shed light on your sin. In Psalm 139, the psalmist writes, God, examine me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any bad thing in me. Lead me on the road to everlasting life. Here's the deal. We can't address what we don't know exists. 
So we need to ask God to to shine a light on us, to reveal all of the things in our life, all of the things in our relationships that are lurking in the darkness, the things that are separating us from our spouse, the things that are separating us from God. We need to to ask him to shed a light on that stuff, to, to bring it to the surface so that we can see it, we can identify it, because once we see it and identify it, then we can put a plan of action in place to eradicate it from our marriage, to eradicate it from our relationship with Christ. Once we know about it, then we can do something about it. So the first step is that we need to shed a light on our sins. Shed a light on our sins. Second thing, number two, come clean. We gotta come clean. See, knowing that the sin is there is one thing, but it's only half the battle. We've gotta tell somebody. You've got to tell somebody about your sin. You've got to come clean, and you need to come clean in two areas. First off, you need to come clean to Jesus. You need to come clean to Jesus, 1 John 1, 9. But if we confess our sins, he will forgive our sins because we can trust God to do what is right. He will cleanse us from all the wrongs we have done. First off, when that sin is brought to light, you want to be cleansed of it, you want it to go away, you need to say, Jesus, I've sinned. Forgive me of this. Don't let it be a part of my life anymore. Kick it to the curb with the rest of the trash. Let go of it. Leave it there. Let Jesus deal with it. Get that out of your life. Get that out of your relationship so that you can move on beyond it. And when we confess our sins, God is faithful. That's why Jesus went to the cross to die in our place so that we could be forgiven. And it doesn't matter how small, it doesn't matter how big, any sin that you have, Jesus is capable of forgiving you and cleaning you out from that junk. So first off, you've got you've to come clean to Jesus. But then the second thing is that you've got to come clean to somebody else. Come clean to another person. In James Chapter 5, James writes, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so God can heal you. It's not enough to just confess it to Jesus. Yes, that cleans us out. He takes that sin away. But there's a second step that you and I need to take. We need to have somebody that's in the boat with us. There needs to be somebody in our life that we're communicating these things to, that we're talking about with the things that we struggle with so that they can hold us accountable. Yes, Jesus brings forgiveness and cleansing, but when we confess our sin to another person, it brings healing. And Jesus wants us to be healed. He wants us to be whole. So yes, we need to to take our sins and put them under the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed upon the cross at Calvary. But we need to go to a trusted friend, a trusted advisor, someone who is living a Christian life that, that, that we deem worthy, that we would say, I want my walk with Jesus to be like theirs. And we need to go, we need to go to that person. We need to say, hey, I need you to know this. Because when we, when we bring that stuff to light and we come clean about it, the things that we communicate, the things that we let get out there, the things that we tell somebody else about, they no longer have power over us anymore. And see, the enemy, he wants us to keep all that to ourselves. No, when, when you speak up and, and you find somebody and there's somebody that, that's holding you accountable and they're walking with you and, and that stuff is out in the open, you are no longer held slave to that thing. Come clean and be free. Be healed of that. Let God know. Let somebody else know. And walk in freedom and victory over it. 
Bring your sins to light. Come clean. The third thing we got to do is redeem the time. Redeem the time. In, in verse 16 of the passage we read earlier in Ephesians 5, Paul admonishes his readers. He says, use every chance you have for doing good. The Greek word for that phrase, use every chance you have, is, is exagorazo, which literally means redeem. What Paul is talking about is, is taking the time we used to spend on living for the darkness and to replace it or exchange it for life in the spirit. Life with our lives exposed to the light of Jesus Christ. See, once we've been forgiven and, and healed of our past, healed from the sins of our past, we need to begin to choose what is good for our future. That means it no longer matters how we lived last year. That means it no longer matters the struggles that we had last month. It no longer matters the, the things that were holding us down last week. It no longer matters the things that, that we were participating in last night. The only thing that matters is that we have come clean and we've been forgiven and that we are on the path of healing and wholeness and that from this day forward, we are going to choose a lifestyle that is pleasing and honorable unto the Lord. That's what we're going to do. Our past does not matter. It does not define us. Once we have crossed over, once we have brought that under the blood of Jesus, once we have confessed it, once we have been cleaned of it, it's gone. But now from this day forward, we make changes and we choose what is good for our lives. Galatians, Paul writes about this in Galatians chapter 6. He says, people harvest only what they plant. If they plant to satisfy their sinful selves, their sinful selves will bring them ruin. But if they plant to please the Spirit, they will receive eternal life from the Spirit. We must not become tired of doing good we will receive our harvest of eternal life at the right time if we do not give up. Man, leave that junk in your past, and then today, today, God, with your help, I'm going to choose to do good. I'm going to redeem the time in my life, and I'm going to make choices that lead me on the path to good. And then tomorrow, guess what? You're going to get up, and you're going to say, what, what's in the past was past, and that's been put under the blood of Jesus, and I've been forgiven of that, and I'm on the path to healing and wholeness. And today, God, with your help, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm choosing what is good. I'm redeeming the time in my life. I'm redeeming redeeming the time in my relationship. I'm redeeming the time in my marriage by choosing, being intentional and purposeful about choosing what is good. And if we do not become tired of doing that, and day in and day out in our marriages, we choose what is good, then we will receive our harvest of eternal life. We will receive the reward that we are after. We will find ourselves living the life, the marriage that we've always dreamed about. Because when we choose good, we choose God. If we want to position ourselves to become the spouse that we've been called to be, to have the marriage that we've always dreamed of, it's going to require us to place Jesus at the center of our relationship. Not the pursuit of a new house, not the pursuit of of a new car, not the pursuit of, of a fulfilling sex life, not the pursuit of children, not the pursuit of the right job, not the pursuit of the right location. 
It's got to be Jesus at the center of that relationship. And that looks a lot like this right here. If you can imagine your relationship as a triangle and you have Jesus at the pinnacle, the apex. He is number one. He is at the center. And then um, the husband is on one side at the base and the wife is on the other side of the base. It would be easy for us to think that in our relationship, our number one pursuit needs to be that other person. That I need to pursue my wife and my wife needs to pursue me. That's incorrect. The number one pursuit that you and I need to have in our relationships, particularly in our marriages, is we need to pursue Jesus. And I want you to watch what happens. Watch what happens. As the husband pursues Jesus and gets closer to Jesus, and as the wife pursues Jesus and gets closer to Jesus, what happens, what what becomes a natural byproduct of our pursuit of Jesus in that relationship? That the, the closer we get to Jesus, well, what happens is the closer we get to our spouse. Because when we put God first in our marriage, we can't help but grow closer to our spouse. It is a natural byproduct of it. So so stop pursuing things that are second place or or, or further down the list. And in your relationship, if you want to have the marriage of your dreams, you get with your spouse and you make a commitment that we are going to put Jesus at the center. And first and foremost, we are going to pursue him and him alone. And then watch what will take place. Watch what will happen in your marriage. As you pursue Jesus, you're going to find out all of a sudden The life that you're living with your spouse is so much more meaningful. It's so much more fulfilling. You're enjoying each other's time. You're having fun. The spark is back. All of those things are taking place because you have put Jesus in the proper place. And when Jesus gets in the proper place, everything else is going to align in accordance with it. Because if God isn't first in your life, He can't be first in your marriage. So you got to be sure that he's in the proper place. He's in the center. He's in spot number one. And that our pursuit is him. Because the only way that he can be first in our marriage is if he's first in our life. So some of us, we need to reprioritize some things a little bit. We need to get some things back in order the way that they're meant to be. And if you're here today and you've never put your hope and your trust in Jesus Christ, then I want to invite you to do that with me this morning. If you say, Pastor Blake, I've, I've, never, I've never put my hope, my trust in Jesus. I've never put him as number one in my life, but I would like to do that this morning. It's as simple as ABC. Admit, believe, and choose. We admit that we're sinners in need of salvation. We believe in Jesus, that he was God's son, that he came on this earth, that he died in our place, that he rose from the dead so that we could be forgiven of our sins and we choose to surrender our lives to him. That's you, I wanna invite you to pray this prayer with me all over this house. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe Christ died in my place making a way for us to have a relationship. I choose to follow Jesus in his way for the rest of my life. Amen. Hey, if that's you and you prayed that prayer for the first time today, I want to congratulate you on making the best decision that you could possibly ever make. 
there's an orange and white connect card in a seat near you. I want to encourage you, if you prayed that prayer today, you made that decision, you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to grab that card, fill out the information on the front, and then there's a place on the back that you can indicate um, the decision that you've made today. And there's also a place there that you can indicate that you would like to be water baptized. That's your next step as a believer in Jesus. At the close of this service, I want to encourage you, take that card, go to the big orange tent out front. There's going to be somebody there that wants to celebrate with you the decision that you've made. And we want to put some resources in your hands for um, you to get started on your Christ walk the best way possible. And we're in this thing together. We are with you and we want to walk alongside you every step of the way. So let us know about the decision that you've made so that we can help you in your walk with Jesus. Amen? All right. Now, um, before we get out of here, there is a special website that I want to point out to you, and it's, it's very simple. It's thechristwalk.com slash marriage. All right, so for the next few weeks, not only are we going to talk about marriage, but we wanted to provide some resources for married couples. And so um, these would also uh, be uh, pertain to anybody that, that you're dating or you're engaged or whatever, some things to, um, to begin to set the tone for the marriage that you would like to have. And so you can simply visit this website, thechristwalk.com slash marriage. And there's all sorts of resources on there. There's some Bible reading plans that we've chosen for you that you can read along with your spouse. There's some books for those of you that are nerds like me and like to read a lot, um, you can get some books and you can learn some things some, uh, that, that, that you can do to strengthen your marriage. Um, there's also uh, some really fun date night ideas um, that, that we've put on there that you can look at, some, some creative things, um, expensive dates, uh, not so expensive dates, free dates, dates where you don't even have to leave your house, like some really cool stuff. So I'd encourage you to check that out. And for everybody in the room that, that has kids... There's also a registration link on there because on March 15th, we're going to have a parents' night out. So you can come and you can drop your kids off and then you can go and have a date night and you can begin to put some of these principles that we're talking about into practice, all right? So we're trying to, we're trying to put our money where our mouth is and we believe, um, we believe that when marriages get better, the church gets better and when the church gets better, the community gets better. So if marriages get better, we all win. And so we want your marriage to win and be the best that it possibly can be. So I want to encourage you this week, go and check out those resources. Put some of them to place in your relationship. And I believe that as we put God first, everything else will fall into place. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. At Christ Walk Church, we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. For more information about Christ Walk, please visit us at thechristwalk.com.